Welcome back to The Breakdown with me, NLW. It's a daily podcast on macro, Bitcoin, and the big picture power shifts remaking our world. What's going on, guys? It is Tuesday, September 22nd, and today we are talking hacks, hacks, hacks. Before we get into that, however, if you are enjoying The Breakdown, please go subscribe to it, give it a rating, give it a review, or if you want to dive deeper into the conversation, come join us on The Breakers Discord. You can find a link in the show notes or go to bit.ly slash breakdown pod. Well, friends, today we start this show talking about Ben Armstrong, better known as BitBoy, who was arrested last night after he won, posted to his YouTube that he was going to confront a former business partner about the Lamborghini that he said was his. Two, went to said person's door and rang the doorbell. Three, did this with a gun and illegal narcotics in the back of his car, along with another business and affair partner to boot. And then four, live-streamed himself getting arrested. Just kidding. I'm not going to talk about that. Ever at all. In fact, I will only say this. The crypto space gets exactly the level of influencers it deserves. So perhaps as we think about where we want to be heading into the next bull market, we might want to choose who we listen to with just a hint more discernment. Now, what we're actually going to be talking about today is the plague of this bear market, well, outside of Gensler, of course, and that is hacks. A wave of hacks impacted crypto firms starting over the weekend. On Friday, Nansen disclosed a security breach at a third-party software vendor. The attacker was able to gain access to admin rights of a Nansen account in charge of facilitating client access to the platform. Nansen claims it, quote, managed to stop the unauthorized access shortly after learning about it and launched an immediate investigation. According to Nansen, wallet funds were unaffected. All affected users had email addresses exposed, while smaller user cohorts had password hashes accessed and wallet addresses revealed. Nansen urged all users to double-check emails claiming to be coming from the company and be vigilant for phishing attempts. So that was Friday. Then on Saturday, OpenSea disclosed that one of its third-party vendors, quote, experienced a security incident that may have exposed information. They warned that user API keys were compromised. The company noted that the incident was not expected to impact any programs which use an OpenSea API key, but that external parties using exposed keys could experience rate and usage limits. OpenSea plans on shutting down existing keys by next Monday and asked users to rotate their keys. A third exploit was disclosed early on Monday morning. Mixin Network, which is a nominally decentralized wallet service, said it lost $200 million in customer assets during an attack early on Saturday morning. Crypto developer Lawrence Day at Function Zero writes, It's another poly network. Nine figures gone from a place I've literally never heard of before. Also, respectfully, how are you losing 200 milli from a cloud breach? So this company, Mixin, was founded in 2017 and had nearly 400 million in protocol funds across 48 chains. The service allows users to send digital assets assigned to phone numbers, and its biggest market appears to be Hong Kong. Now, the firm said that it can guarantee the safety of around half of user assets, but that guarantee seems to be in the form of a corporate backstop rather than the product of successful threat mitigation. During a live stream on Monday addressing the attack, Mixin founder Feng Xiaodong said, No matter what your assets are, whether it's Bitcoin or Ethereum, we will ensure that half of it is unaffected. We're trying to find a way to recover the compromised money, but that is very difficult. For the other half of the assets, Mixin is considering offering what they are calling bond tokens for users to claim. The firm would later buy back the tokens, making them similar to other token-based recovery schemes seen in the past during events like the Bitfinex hack. A security firm called Slowmist is involved in the investigation and stated that the incident occurred when a cloud service provider database was attacked. Now, if this feels like just the latest in a string of big hacks, that's because it is. 
In 2022, we had the record of 3.1 billion in funds lost from hacks. And estimates this year include TRM Labs saying that 400 million was stolen in quarter one, Immune Phi saying that 700 million was lost in the first half of the year. And then just in Q3, we've had a 126 multi-chain hack in July, a $61.7 million market-based protocol exploit of Curve Finance in July, 41.3 million hacked from stake.com in September, and another July hack of 37 million at Coins Paid. So from estimates, it looks like this might be the largest hack of the year, roughly the same size as Euler in March. Still, even though it wasn't the biggest, the most high-profile hack of the weekend was disclosed on Monday as well, and that was from HTX. HTX, formerly known as Huobi, suffered the loss of 5,000 ETH worth around $8 million on Sunday evening. Justin Sun claimed in a Twitter thread that, quote, HTX has fully covered the losses incurred from the attack and has successfully resolved all related issues. Sun added that, quote, all user assets are Safu, and the platform is operating completely normally. Now, in addition to disclosing the loss, Sun downplayed the impact of the attack, stating that, quote, 8 million represents a relatively small sum in comparison to the 3 billion worth of assets held by our users. It also amounts to just two weeks of revenue for the HTX platform. Sun disclosed the wallet address of the hacker and added, We are willing to offer 5% of the stolen amount, 400,000 USD, as a white hat reward to encourage the hacker to return the stolen funds. If the hacker returns the funds, we will also hire them as a security white hat advisor for HTX. However, they said if the funds are not returned within seven days, we will transfer the information to law enforcement authorities for further action and to prosecute the hacker. In an on-chain message to the hacker, HTX claimed to have discovered their, quote, true identity. Now, according to Arkham Analytics, the attack affected an HTX hot wallet, which was created in March. Since then, the wallet has received $500 million in deposits from Binance, and on-chain analysts confirmed that funds have now been migrated to a new wallet. Now, there were a lot of comments relating to the name change of this exchange. CryptoKaleo writes, Huobi changes its name to HTX and gets hacked for $8 million in the first month? Coincidence or tempting fate? Lawrence Day again said, I'm sorry, but renaming Huobi to HTX and then immediately losing millions of dollars is so effing funny that I might have a stroke. Even Binance's CZ said, A week after you rename your exchange after FTX, dot dot dot. Jokes aside, our security team will help in tracking hacker funds in all cases where we can. Now, in addition to just the jokes about the HTX name, there are lots of questions floating around about Huobi solvency. To get a sense of some of those theories, go check out Adam Cochran's account. It's a little bit out of the scope of this particular episode, but it's obviously something that we're watching closely. Now, it's unclear at this stage whether these attacks had any sort of links, but the small amount of detail available does show some common features. The first three hacks all blamed a third-party service provider. While the provider was not named, Nansen did urge them to disclose the security breach. These attacks come just weeks after crypto custody firm Fortress Trust suffered a $15 million attack, which was also related to a security failure at a third-party cloud provider called Retool. In that attack, an employee at the software provider was the victim of a phishing attack. The attacker used an AI-synthesized voice clone of an IT support worker to replicate the employee's credentials to access Retool systems. In their write-up of that attack, Retool said that 27 customer accounts were compromised. All 27 were crypto companies. So the method of attack here, which uses a combination of social engineering and a bypassing of security measures, also bears a striking resemblance to the write-ups of the recent cyber attack on MGM and Caesars Casinos. The casino systems were hacked two weeks ago with customer and corporate data compromised. Postmortems of the attack claimed that hackers used a voice replication of IT workers to gain access. Identity management firm Okta confirmed that the casinos had been using their systems to credential employees. In an August blog post, Okta said that their customers were seeing, quote, consistent pattern of social engineering attacks against their IT service desk personnel, in which the caller's strategy was to convince service desk personnel to reset all multi-factor authentication factors enrolled by highly privileged users. 
The casino attacks were attributed to a threat actor known as Scattered Spider using malicious software developed by Alfie or Black Cat. Now, if these attacks are all part of the same cybercrime spree, it could speak to a group of hackers going after high-value targets like crypto firms. The vulnerability seems hard to address as it involves security training for employees at third-party software providers. And one of the implications is, if these kind of attacks become a systemic threat to the industry, it could mean more crypto firms need to bring sensitive software in-house. That higher barrier to secure operations could make it more difficult for smaller startups to compete in the industry. Now, of course, for any of you who are listening to the AI breakdown, you'll also recognize that this is not going to be a problem that's unique to the crypto industry. The casino attacks speak to that as well, but the reality is that voice cloning technology is incredibly advanced and just getting more so all the time. Individuals and companies are going to need to develop entirely different modes of operation that recognize the fact that you simply can't trust a voice on the other line of a call anymore. Now, when it comes to the impact of these hacks on the industry, outside of just the ramifications for the people who lost money themselves, it's hard exactly to know what the real impact is. On the one hand, it certainly lends to a perception of immaturity overall. But at the same time, when it comes to the geopolitics and regulation of crypto, the hacks that are most important to keep an eye on are those that have some sort of geostrategic ramifications, particularly those emanating from the Lazarus Group in North Korea. Still, being this deep into a bear market and trying to match all-time records for hacks is not necessarily the place we want to be overall. Now, the one other story that I wanted to cover on today's show is a bit of a dust-up around the Celsius restructuring. In short, the Celsius bankruptcy could be coming to a close after creditors have voted in favor of the current recovery plan. 98% of creditors gave the thumbs up to a plan which would see the sale of assets to crypto consortium Fahrenheit Holdings. The acquiring group includes Arrington Capital and minor U.S. Bitcoin Corp. Fahrenheit plans to retain and operate mining equipment owned by Celsius under a new corporate structure. The new company also plans to stake Ethereum and monetize other Celsius assets. Some large creditors will receive equity in this new company. And in addition, another $2 billion in liquid crypto will be distributed to creditors. Overall, the plan is projected to provide a 76-85% to 85% recovery. Now, one remaining snag in the plan is an objection from the SEC. The regulator filed its objection last Friday to express concerns with Coinbase's involvement in the process. Celsius receivers plan to use Coinbase as an intermediary to distribute crypto to creditors. The SEC claimed the agreement could require Coinbase to, quote, go far beyond the services of a distribution agent, and effectively they believe that Coinbase could be called upon to provide the kind of crypto services which are at issue in their separate enforcement lawsuit. The SEC filing claimed that, quote, Celsius have confirmed that they do not intend for Coinbase to provide brokerage services despite the language in the Coinbase agreements to the contrary. However, this court should not be asked to approve a deal where their material terms are missing or inconsistent. The regulator also appears concerned about an additional agreement with Coinbase, which Celsius have attempted to file under seal and have not yet disclosed. Coinbase's chief legal officer, Paul Grewell, hit back at the SEC's objection in a Twitter post stating, Coinbase is proud to engage with Celsius to distribute crypto back to its customers. I wonder, why would the SEC object to a trusted U.S. public company taking on this role? We look forward to addressing this with the bankruptcy court and undertaking our important role to make Celsius customers whole. Now, Wayne Vaughn had a very simple explanation, saying, Coinbase's role in the Celsius bankruptcy makes Coinbase look like a trusted good actor. The SEC wants Coinbase to look like an untrustworthy bad actor. And of course, this isn't the first time we've seen the SEC stand in the way of a bankruptcy distribution agreed to by creditors. In March, the SEC objected to Voyager using Binance US to distribute crypto to its creditors, which was, of course, months before the regulator had filed its lawsuit against Binance, but still based their objections on claims that the exchange was an unregistered securities brokerage. A very unimpressed judge in the Voyager case called it, quote, kind of a weird objection. In fact, they said that they were, quote, absolutely shocked at the regulator's conduct for suggesting that the judge should, quote, 
stop everybody in their tracks because you might have an issue. This time around, of course, the SEC at least does have an ongoing lawsuit that they can point to regarding Coinbase's brokerage services. But the objection does still seem odd, given that the regulator didn't seek an injunction to prevent Coinbase from operating as normal in the interim. The Celsius case will return to court next Thursday to hear the SEC's argument and see if the judge is inclined to allow the plan to go ahead. Now, one interesting line of discussion are the implications for the spot ETF applications that are outstanding. Adam Cochran writes, while this is dumb, it also kind of tips the SEC's hand. If this is the line they are taking, then it's a really good bet they are going to continue to fight the spot ETFs, but now on the basis that there is no valid custodian, an ATS registered for exchanging the spot assets. Gets them around some of the issues with there being a futures market, but not wanting to approve the spot. They'll make the claim that since all the venues list some hand-wavy securities, they must be registered, even if they also list things that are only commodities. Therefore, they aren't denying the eligibility of BTC to have an ETF, just that no provider is currently legally able to do so, since they've not approved such an ATS. Now, speaking of ETFs, Bitwise filed an amendment to its spot Bitcoin ETF application on Monday, adding 40 pages of research on Bitcoin market structure. The research aimed to preempt arguments from the SEC, which could be used to reject the current batch of ETF applications. Bitwise claimed to show that Bitcoin futures are the primary market for price discovery, with spot prices following futures. According to Bitwise, this would mean that the well-regulated CME futures market should be the primary consideration when looking for evidence of market manipulation. They argued that this trading venue should count as a regulated market of significant size for market surveillance purposes. As part of their argument, Bitwise also cited a previous study from 2019, which suggested that Bitcoin's spot market mainly consisted of fake volume, making the relative size of the regulated futures market much larger in comparison. Regarding the price impact of futures, Bitwise found in 2021 that futures markets accounted for between 52.97% and 68.03% of Bitcoin's price discovery. Now, this isn't the first time Bitwise have dropped large amounts of Bitcoin research on the SEC to dispute their claims. They have produced at least two 100-page-plus reports in support of previous Bitcoin ETF applications. Bitwise Chief Investment Officer Matt Hogan explained his firm's strategy in a Twitter thread, stating, Given the Grayscale ruling, every spot Bitcoin ETF filing is essentially in a waiting pattern hoping the SEC reacts to the court ruling by approving spot Bitcoin ETFs. That's the happy case. The question is, what happens if the SEC appeals the court decision? In short, we return to the status quo. We're back to needing to prove that the CME Bitcoin futures market leads price discovery over the spot market, such that it can serve as a regulated market of significant size for the purpose of surveillance. Unfortunately, existing filings do not include substantively new arguments or research addressing this question head-on. Until now. Today's amendment aims to address point-by-point point each of the major objections the SEC has raised in prior disapprovals for spot Bitcoin ETFs. In particular, we try to clear up the significant confusion around the growing body of academic literature on price discovery in the Bitcoin market and demonstrate that every well-designed academic study supports the finding that the CME is significant. So friends, there you have it, a little bit of hacks, a little bit of the SEC objecting to something that seems reasonable from the outside. In other words, a quintessential 2023 crypto day. Appreciate you guys listening as always, and until next time, peace.